Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. For my part, I don't see why men who have got wives and don't want them shouldn't get rid of them as these gypsy fellows do their old horses, said the man in the tent. Why shouldn't they put them up and sell them by auction to men who are in need of such articles? Hey, why, begad, I'd sell mine this minute if anybody would buy her. There's them that would do that, some of the guests replied, looking at the woman who was by no means ill-favoured. Uh, no West Country accent? No, I don't think I will do the West Country accent, too. At all? No, not at all. Throughout the whole podcast, no, you're going to avoid a West Country podcast. accent? No. I'm very disappointed. You can do your Norfolk accent, which you think is West Country. Well, I can just pass it off as West Country. Yeah. It's not a problem, is it? Anyway, <laughs> uh, welcome to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. Every episode, we take a book out for a walk into the wild to see whether the world of fiction matches up with the real world. Hello, my name is Tim Wright. I'm a digital writer and producer of Immersive Fictions. Uh, my name's Lloyd Shepard. I'm a writer and a digital producer. And today we're going to be discussing The Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy. Now, you said to me before we started this podcast, are you going to do the plot summary? Yeah, good luck. And uh, we sort of looked <laughs> at each other and went, well, should we, just, should we just do the setting rather than the plot summary? It reminds me very much of a soap opera. Very soap opery. It's sort of EastEnders. Actually, do you know what it really reminded me? It reminded me of Howard's Way. <laughs> Which is set quite nearby, isn't it? Yeah. Isle of Wight. Basically, a new, uh, an ex-wife turns up every so often for some <laughs> run, business owner. It's very strange. Somebody dies, someone's humiliated, some dodgy business transaction takes place. There's yeah. a, I'll be revenged of you. It really cracks along, doesn't it? The setup is a hay trusser called Michael Henchard actually sells his wife at a fair in Waden Priors, the name of the town in the book she disappears and goes off with a sailor 20 years later roughly um to be she discussed. returns and finds that michael henchard is now a man of some means uh, he is the mayor of casterbridge casterbridge being a town in the fictional county of essex wessex wessex like essex <laughs> it's completely the fictional it's a different book <laughs> 
<laughs> Where have you been? The fictional county of Essex. The fictional county of Wessex. He's the mayor of Casterbridge, and he's now a very well-to-do or corn factor, right? He's a, yeah. he's a, he's a seller and buyer of, of, of wheat and corn mm. and hay. And uh, the book tells the story about her return with a daughter uh, and uh, another character called Donald Farfrey, who uh, Henchard takes under his wing. Um, and Farfrey ends up becoming much more successful than Henchard. And Henchard is the central character. He's this extraordinary combination of pride he wants to do the right thing but he keeps losing his temper Mm. and making terrible decisions very impulsive very impulsive and these terrible decisions and this and then he sticks to them as well he's a man of impulse who then says he must now stick with what he did he keeps saying to himself i must stop doing this and he can't he keeps he keeps it's partly to do with him being an alcoholic right he's really really drunk when he sells his wife and then he makes a pledge that for 21 years he won't touch a drop that's a very important point and it's very important because they he turns up sort of near two or three years before the pledge is going to be out and he can't stop talking about the deadline of when i'm going to be able to drink and the pledge comes around and he does indeed embark (laughs) on on the the first day he does indeed embark on the mother of all vendors (laughs) his life becomes increasingly hard and difficult yeah there is another woman called lucette yes who who, uh, he had an affair on the isle Isle of white from the isle of white he had an affair with her again the the house way reference Hmm. Uh, he's sort of become engaged to but uh, broken it off yeah. um, and uh, Farfrey steps in and we won't go for all the ins and outs of the book but basically you, you, this is a you're getting the idea though it's a tragedy right I mean this the, the, the narrative arc is a man does something terrible in his past yeah um, he has a very successful fatal flaw his earlier crime comes back to haunt him yeah uh, and the ending of the book is extraordinary an extraordinary kind of decline you'd think it was quite a gloomy book from what we've just described, but it's actually quite an exciting book because it's like lots happens. And also the other side of it is it's very much about uh, what goes on in a rural market town. There's, there's lots of locals. There's lots of jolly locals getting up to no good with strange accents in it, aren't there? But we're going to start at the fair where yes. Henchard is arriving with his wife yes. in the town of Waden Priors in northern Wessex. I wasn't sure whether I was going to sell my dog or you. Trusser and his family proceeded on their way and soon entered the fair field, which showed standing places and pens where many hundreds of horses and sheep had been exhibited and sold in the forenoon, but were now in great part taken away. At present, as their informant had observed, but little real business remained on hand, the chief being the sale by auction of a few inferior animals that could not otherwise be disposed of and had been absolutely refused by the better class of traders who came and went early. Yet the crowd was denser now than during the morning hours, the frivolous contingent of visitors, including journeymen out for a holiday, a stray soldier or two come on furlough, village shopkeepers and the like, having latterly flocked in, persons whose activities found a congenial field among the peep shows, toy stands, waxworks, inspired monsters, disinterested medical men who travelled for the public good, thimble riggers, knick-knack vendors and readers of fate. What's a thimble rigger? I don't know what a thimble rigger. I don't. I know what a knick-knack vendor is. Oh, do you? We're at the fair. We're at the fair in Waden Prior, in, uh, in search of firmity. Well, in search of some something. A job. In search of in search uh, of work uh, yeah. as a hay trusser, and uh, they come to this fairground. Yes. Uh, we are in Wayhill in the uh, county of Hampshire. I'm a bit disappointed. We found a pub. 
called the Wayhill Fair. Yeah, which claimed to be on the site of the historic Wayhill Fair, of, and say, says as mentioned in Mayor of Casterbridge. Well, they make quite a lot of, literally make hay out of it around here, in that um, we've passed another road called Hardy Fair Close. We did. We're sitting in the fairground. It's called the fairground. It's called the fairground. And we're in a sort of barn, open barn area. Like they might have a barn area. dance here. Well, We were two hours too early for the pub. Yeah, uh, I mean, five minutes too late for the cafe. Yeah, so if you can't, if you you have to have your tea by four, and you can't have your beer till six. So between four and six, there's nothing going on. I know. This is why we live in London, mate. Can't get firmity, <laughs> ale, or anything. So um, yeah, we but need uh, access alcohol twenty four seven. Wayhill is 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 Waden Prior. Yes, we're clear on that. Uh, we? And it's, uh, it's it's a few miles away from Andover, military town. Yeah. Um, it's a great place to start, though. And he calls it Upper Wessex, right? So yes. it's, it's, it's so the north. It's yeah. north east of uh, of uh, Casterbridge. So this is it, isn't it? This we is are at the fairground. We're on the fairground in Waden Waden Briar. Yeah, but in Wayhill Fair, Wayhill Fair was an actual thing. I found on HampshireHistory.com right a very good article about Wayhill Fair. It was one of England's most important medieval fairs and one of its oldest. A written record of the fair in 1225 testifies to it being a well-known established fair known also as La Wee Wee or De La Woe. La Wee Wee or De La Woe. Woe. Does it explain why it was known as this? I imagine that after you've had a bit of rum and firmity, you've got... In the book, it talks about them coming in the middle of September to the fair. Yes. Well, according to this... The Wayhill Fair took place at three times in a year, in April for trading cattle, July for selling sheep, and October for selling hops. So not September. Well, interestingly, because not only, so that's wrong, but also they have clearly been selling sheep and cows, right? Because there were standing places and pens, I mm. know, oh horses, where many hundreds of horses and sheep had been exhibited and sold. Well, that So the sheep was in July. Yes, that's right. Which makes sense, doesn't it? Does he mention okay. horses? And uh, well, it's cattle, cattle in April, yeah, sheep in July, yeah, but and he says horses, October yeah. hops. So he's got his, he's got that wrong. Well, he's got that all wrong, hasn't he? Yeah. Did you know it says it is zenith? A hundred thousand sheep a day were bought and sold. Bloody yeah. hell! There'd be a lot of sheep here. Yeah, a lot of sheep. Be, that would be a big noise, wouldn't it? There'd yeah. be a lot of barring. It's a shame the bar's not open. There, yeah. So and then um, the hop fair. All the hop growers from Farnham, your neck of the woods, around yeah, Norway, yeah, yeah. Would, would arrive en masse and they'd have a row of stalls that became known as Farnham Row. Ah. So all these Kentish that's good. hop growers would turn up here. Oh, I good. bet there'd be a lot of trouble, don't you think? Well, with that and the soldiers. Yeah, I think there'd be a few fights, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And the final thing, I, I can't verify this, but I'm very interested in this. It says that in the annual register of the fair for 1832... OK. Which is basically, at the beginning of this it's book, it says... A, the the, the century the third is a, of the century is yes, over, yeah. 1832, records Joseph Thompson offering his wife for sale for 50 shillings. He didn't quite make that, but he accepted 20 shillings and a dog. Where's that story from? From, well, the Hampshire. from Hampshire history. They, they also have a drawing here of, uh, from, by Thomas Rowlandson, 1812-1813, selling a wife. So it actually it seems like it Seems like it's it a thing here.
Thomas Hardy. Thomas Hardy. I, I must admit, coming into this podcast, I knew very little about Thomas Hardy. You're much more of a Hardy aficionado. I've been reading Claire Tomlin's excellent biography of him. Yes. Called The Time-Torn Man. Yes. Um, I read that some time it's ago. It's very, very good. She's obviously very, very good at what she does. And we leaned on her quite heavily in our H.G. Wells War of the Worlds episode. That's actually. true, we did. And she describes his early life in, in a place called Bockhampton, higher Bockhampton. Yep which is a, a few miles to the east of Dorchester. He had a bit of an Ursula Todd birth. He, they thought he was dead. They left him for like half an hour. and That's then, right, uh, I've forgotten that. And then uh, uh, had to revive him. You can go there, you know. The, his house is still there. Yeah, it's National Trust, that, the right? thatched house. It's so the there. family was, they were builders and stonemasons, so his father was a builder. His mother was this extraordinary character, Jemima, who was very, very kind of strong-willed, very anti-marriage, interestingly. She, she told all her children, you shouldn't get married. Okay. It's a waste of time. It well, that, that, that f- figures with all the strong female characters who are not she's, that interested in marriage in all his books. I think she's very much a model for that. Okay. And he went to the local church, the, the local village school that was founded by the, the local lady of the manor. Right. Uh, but then at 10, his mother was quite ambitious for him. She got him into a school in, in Dorchester. Oh. And I just wanted to, because it was really interesting. So he's he, 10 in 1850. 18, he was born in 1840, yes. yes. Exactly. Just, just, just for future reference when future we get reference, to dating. Important, yes. Yeah. He was walking to and from Dorchester every single day. And just to remind you, Dorchester is the model for Casterbridge. For Casterbridge. Yeah. And Dorchester is a town that is now in Dorset. Yes. Dorchester. Oh, you're going to tell me that the county borders changed? I haven't checked the county borders, Tim. Oh. It is, it is in Dorset. You're losing your touch. So he walked into Do- Dorchester every day and out of Dorchester every day. So this is reading from Tomlin. Um, His route can still be followed across a landscape that has remained relatively unchanged since the 1850s, down the lane to the road, left and onto a diagonal path across the fields for half a mile, joining the road again close to Stinsford, then west down the long stretch of Stinsford Hill into the Valley of the Froom. The river was crossed at Grays Bridge which we'll come to, with its three stone arches. In the 1850s, there were water meadows from Graysbridge to Swanbridge, which was brick-built and spanned a small branch of the wandering Froom. Now that's quite, that's just part of the town now. It'd this be was hard the to imagine town now. with its pavements and, and steeply rising high street. The reason she emphasises this is he kind of, he memorised every part of the war because he writes about a lot about it in later life. Yes. The wildlife, the flora and fauna. But he also has some weird encounters. In winter, he often had to walk in the dark. And one incident was so mysterious that even reading about it raises a shiver. As he went up Stinsford Hill, not a single dwelling in sight and no street lights he came upon two men sitting on chairs, one on either side of the road. By the moonlight, he saw that they were strangers to him. Terrified, he took to his heels. He never heard who they were or anything to explain the incident. Well, he, he's, he's never met the Curiously Specific Club before, clearly. <laughs> I love that, I love that. Um, <laughs> that's, we, just, that's just us marking out the territory, so isn't it? That's, that's, a, that's a, a, a future time slip, Ian Sinclair, kind of that's two perfect. old men. Two guys on chairs. out the, the line. Yeah, that's right. So at 16, he's sent out to earn his living, is apprenticed to an architect in Dorchester. Yep. And spends the next sort of, 10 years, really, working as an architect in various Very interesting places. that he's an architect. Um, we'll talk about that. I think. He, uh, he, moved, he went to London for five years in, six, uh, in 1862, aged 22. Yes. There's a very good article in the LRB archive by James Wood. It's a review of a book by Mark Ford called Thomas Hardy, Half a Londoner. Yeah. Um, and because he writes books about cast, you know, what you think about Thomas Hardy, he's writing about country folk or he's talking about rural towns. He doesn't write about London or urban, the urban experience particularly. No. But that would be wrong then to think of him as somebody who isn't 
half yeah. a Londoner. No, he liked he liked the hoi, he liked sort of living at large with the with the literary set in London. Yeah, it says here he joined Savills, right? Yes, he liked. He, he was a club man. He said Ford makes the convincing claim that London turned Hardy into a modern type. In city life, he discovered deracination, thwarted idealism, distrust of established religion, sexual anxiety, a heightened sensitivity to the complexities of class privilege and to the ruthless depredations of the economic system. Wow. Right. He discovered all that in London. Yeah, I think he All gets, I discovered he was a, card I discovered a few nightclubs and some pills. The, the thing that people may know him from, from his London time, if you've been to St Pancras Churchyard, oh, yeah. London behind St Pancras Station, there's a famous tree which is surrounded by headstones, uh, and it's called the Hardy Tree. And the reason it's called the Hardy Tree is when he was working as an uh, architect apprentice, he was charged with organising the removal of... Uh, dozens and dozens of bodies from the churchyard because it was in the way of the railway extension. Right. So they removed the bodies, but they they arranged the headstones around the tree, and now it's very kind of extraordinary. The tree's grown the tree's around, grown the, tombstones. around the tombstones. Yeah, yeah. 1867, he got quite ill, and this is a bit of a story. There's quite a lot of wells about Hardy, I think. You know, the, the, the young man, poor background, getting by on his wits and his brain, yeah, okay. reading lots. Yeah, a bit uh, like But H. also Wells, these yeah. intermittent bouts of illness. That is, uh, and actually, when he was ill, he wrote his first novel, The Poor Man and the Lady. Um, <laughs> That's a crap title. <laughs> never published, never published. So he began work on another book called Desperate Remedies. And then in 1870, the big moment for him, yeah. and again, Tomlin, Tomlin writes this very, very well. He was asked to go and uh, look at a church that was going to yeah. have to be uh, rebuilt. From Dorset, he had to take... Um, four different trains Dorchester to Yeovil Yeovil to Exeter Exeter to Plymouth and Plymouth north again to Launceston now this reminded me of the uh, of the Harkers oh their, yes and, and their Bradshaws yes uh, and after this came another 16 miles in a hired trap before he arrived in front of the rectory in St. Juliot a hamlet so remote and insignificant it is still not marked on road maps in 2005 is it not? once inside the door he found himself face to face with a young lady wearing a brown dress. And that young lady was Emma Gifford, the future Emma Hardy, yes. his wife. And uh, they, they sort of fell in love. He was very taken by her. Lots of stories about her riding horses over the cliffs in Cornwall. And, Ding uh, dong. So he managed to get Desperate Remedies published. Interestingly, he had to put up £75 against the publisher's losses. All the way through his life, he's fighting against publishers. Uh, they <laughs> lived in various that. places, him and Emma, uh, after they got married, including Tooting. Nearby. Uh, nearby near he's a south londoner yeah we like him a lot more novels published his first big success was under the greenwood tree uh far from the madding crowd was that's the one that's really massive, launched isn't it? It. that's big massive. crowd pleaser uh and then you know a whole sequence of novels uh leading up before before he got to the mary Casterbridge. i won't read them all out uh one of the th features of this time is he's constantly he's very clever at playing the publishing game so publishing was as much about serialization as it was about published volumes uh, so you wanted to get published in things like Cornhill, you know, the magazines that, yeah. that came out. He was very good at responding to requests to basically bowdlerize his stories for the purpose of these serials because the, the audience was much more conservative than for the books. Right. So basically the book versions were the ones that we know today. The ones that appeared in magazines tended to be 
terribly toned down. So the far from the madding crowd, there's no dead baby. In the, there's no baby. She doesn't have a baby. Right. He was quite prepared to play the game. Mm. And also, he's, he's good at ending on a cliffhanger, isn't he? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you can practically hear the East Ender, East Ender's Oof. drums at the end of each chapter. I mean, Mayor of Casterbridge, I mean, Oof. I think Oof. you texted me while we were both reading at the same time, and you said, this is just like a soap opera. It's crazy. Because it's literally, he's walking into rooms and going, I'm your daughter. Yeah. I'm not your daughter. I'm your father. No, you're not. I'm not I'm dead your and I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then so he becomes very, very famous and very, very popular. But at the same time, his relationship with Emma get, gets worse and worse and worse, basically. Yes. She, well, she's uh, quite an eccentric woman. We're going to leave Hardy there. Oh, are we? Because otherwise we'd go on for hours about yeah, yeah, Hardy's yeah. biography. We're going to do a second part of his biography in part two. Because he had a long, old life, didn't he? He had, he had a, a long, long, old life. old life. And, you know, he very much bridges... The two eras, you know, the Victorian era and the and the early modern era. Yeah, completely. In yeah, some yeah. really interesting ways. The so, only other thing I'd want to add to this first part is to say um, he wanted to be a poet, not a novelist. Really, um, and that he re- oh, he was writing poetry long before he he was into novels, and that's and always he harboured that desire to be a poet. Well, I think that's what that's what that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about his attitude to the publishing yeah. industry because he was very novel much, writing's a business. That's right? my job. Yeah, I get the money writing that way. novels is my job. Poetry is my passion. Yeah, that's it. So we're going to go back to Dorchester now. Well, we're going to get to Dorchester now. We come from the fair. We've come from the fair and we're going to get to Dorchester. Well, like Susan uh, and Elizabeth, uh, we're going to walk from the fair down to Dorchester. Well, we didn't want to walk. I think we're going to take my Mitsubishi. uh, Mitsubishi PHEV. (laughs) You'll find us outside uh, a hotel called the King's Arms. A classic scene in the novel. score yards brought them to the spot where the town band was now shaking the window panes with the strains of the roast beef of old England. The building before whose doors they had pitched their music stands was the chief hotel in Casterbridge, namely the King's Arms. A spacious bow window projected into the street over the main portico and from the open sashes came the babble of voices the jingle of glasses and the drawing of corks. The blinds, moreover, being left unclosed, the whole interior of this room could be surveyed from the top of a flight of stone steps to the road wagon office opposite, for which reason a knot of idlers had gathered there. (laughs) Are we a knot of idlers? Does two people qualify as a knot? A knot. Well, this is very accurate. Is what the King's Arms Hotel is bang on, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and it's it on a... um, it's on High East Street, yeah, in Dorchester. Hi, actually, we're sitting behind All Saints Church, yes. which is no longer a church. It was uh, it was de consecrated, deconsecrated, not yes. desecrated. That's a different thing. Deconsecrated, desecrated is what Satanists do. Oh yeah, they, well, I mean, maybe that's what happens next. This was the church commissioners. They don't desecrate things, do they? I wouldn't have thought so. And it's the, it's the other side of the road from the King's Arms Hotel. But the, tra- the traffic noise is quite bad, so we've come behind this church. It's rather nice. I would garden. say that the flight of stone steps to the road wagon office where the idlers are is now the Medusa hair salon. <laughs> Why would you call your hair salon Medusa? I know. 
How do you want it? Snakes. That's where the knot of idlers are. Can you cut the snakes out? <laughs> a strange thing to do. It's a great location. The King's Arms Hotel is the King's Arms Hotel. And this is where... It's called the King's Arms Hotel. It hasn't got a fake name. He's just given it what no, it's No, he's, he's not made it up at all. It's right. exactly where it should be. It's where we see Henchard in his pomp at the beginning of the book, don't we? He's at the head of the table. He's, he is the mayor He's the mayor. Point. He's made, he made something of himself. Yeah. And then the trouble's going to start. Well, there's already trouble, isn't it? Because the woman at the, at, the, at, the, uh, at the marketplace has already had some words to say about him. It's but all it, quite small around here, isn't it? So it we've, is got, we've got to sort of just... Uh, squeezing them in. We've got to tick off all these locations. Yeah. But at the King's Arms Hotel, dead easy to find. All Saints Church directly opposite. Yeah. Uh, Hardy had a connection to All Saints Church. He complained about it being... Um, uh, the, the, they were trying to condemn it or something in the night because the buttresses went too far out to the street. Yeah. And you took, a, you took a snapshot of the architect of the church and wondered whether... whether he, well, they must have known Hardy. Well, it was put up at sort of hardy time, wasn't it? Yeah, so yeah. 19th century. Well, when he was an apprentice here. So and then, um, but, we, but we we wouldn't be staying in this hotel, would we? No, it's quite, it's quite swanky We'd pants. be down the road at the Three Mariners. We'd be staying at Three Mariners. So we ought to go and, probably try working and find our, that. Probably working our own keep. I mean, on this road trip, we stayed in some places that are a bit like the Three Mariners, <laughs> aren't we? Yeah, to be fair. You're listening to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books. If you want to hear this podcast without any ads, with every new episode available immediately, you need to head over to our Patreon page. Yes, there's always a part two to our podcast, and you can get it straight away if you support us on Patreon. You can also get a bunch of other stuff, like photos and videos and, uh, and some lovely maps. Yes. Although this is this is a I'm doing this one. Well, so the good the news is that Thomas Hardy's quite I might good at drawing maps. I might just put up one of Thomas Hardy's. I think maps you could get away with it. Pretend it's pretend, pretend it's yeah, mine. You could just yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? We also put up all our show notes where we describe uh, the places that we've been and also the links to all the the interesting facts that we found. Yeah, we throw you. out a, a lot of stuff. A lot there. Of um, so you get all that for quite, two pounds a month. Quite a resource. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's good. Uh, you can pay a little bit more, five pounds a month, and join get all that, but also join us on our Discord server. Yes. We have nice chats. We're we have a nice small chats about elite books, group. But we also have nice chats about other stuff. Discuss books. We've got people talking about their favourite spiders this weekend. I don't know why you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we stick to books? Yeah, we'll stick to books. <laughs> I'd like to stick to books. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, head over to patreon.com and search for Curiously Specific and hand over a terrifyingly small amount of money. And you'll get a full kit to start doing your own book-related adventures. Which is what this is all about. Now back to the podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Very few persons were now in the street, and Hedgehard's eyes, by a sort of attraction, turned and dwelt upon a spot about a hundred yards further down. It was the house to which the writer of the note had gone, the three mariners, whose two prominent Elizabethan gables, bow window and passage light could be seen from where he stood. This ancient house of accommodation for man and beast, now unfortunately pulled down, was built of mellow sandstone with mullioned windows of the same material, markedly out of perpendicular from the settlement of foundations. The bay window projecting into the street, whose interior was so popular among the frequenters of the inn, was closed with shutters in each of which appeared a heart-shaped aperture somewhat more attenuated in the right and left ventricles than is seen in nature. Wow. I'm glad he mentions the heart, because I'm exhausted from that walk we've just done. It's a long way, isn't it? A long it's way. just miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what is it? It's got to be, what, 30 yards? I'd say that was about 30 paces from the bench from the, the King's... The King's Arms Hotel. Well, we bench. were discussing the King's Arms. Said we were going to have to search for the this three mariners. We're going to have to have a good old wander round, and then realised that in in that article that I'd found on the Mail Online, which the Mail Online, I, an I, unlikely source for historical research. I know, but they've ba- it's a really great article about a uh, Thomas Hardy taking a somebody round a, for a walk and then taking pictures. Right. In about 1910 or something like that, and uh, with all the sites. Uh, marked out as approved by Hardy so jobs are good and we're all fine and it says that the All Saints church the site of the church is where the where the Three Mariners where was. Where the Three Mariners was. Which makes sense because the church was built in So about, we were essentially sitting in the Three Mariners we while in, discussing the King's Arms. I quite like the idea that we were already in the pub without <laughs> realising it. <laughs> without realising it. We're actually, there is a pub. There is a pub. There the, is an um, independent free house called the Blue Rattle. The blue rattle, whatever that the means. The blue rattle. It looks so like that, it's sheep related. There's pictures yeah, so of sheep. So I would on the say that's not a bad shout to say that if you wanted to go to the King Round and then go down to the Blue Rattle, you would you you'd be doing a similar kind of journey, wouldn't yeah. you? And it's it looks ha- newish houses further down. Isn't I it? don't want to do down the Blue Rattle, but it, yeah. uh, it's probably a little bit more low lo- low rent than the King's, the King's Arms. Arms. Absolutely perfect spot though, isn't it? And um, I'll tell you what I'm getting a sense of, what? that these are going to be quite short. This story world is, is quite tiny, intense, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's not tiny. a big town. These locations are all going to be very quite close to each other. And also what I like, and I think Hardy would like, is you are 
sitting on a gravestone as I a am. bench with an empty can of beer to one side of you. Yeah. That I think he his his dark sense of humour of how it's you not know beer, your cider. your deathbed becomes a drinker's bench. It's a can of cider. I think that's very hardy. So you were saying that 1886, the publication date of Mayor of Castlebridge, is a big Q-spec year, you were saying? Well, it's a big Q-spec year because um, the origins of the Curiously Specific Book Club lie in a project that you did in 2007? Nine. Nine? 2009, yes, that's uh, right. Called Kidmapper. Kidmapper. You wouldn't get away with that now. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Walking across the country telling people that you're a kidmapper. <laughs> kidnapper. I don't think so. Well, you took uh, Robert Louis Stevenson's book Kidnapped out for a walk. That was literally the first book. Because uh, in, in the original edition, obviously, he he is published with a map in the front yeah. of of David, the um, hero. David Belfour. His, his journey across the Highlands. Yeah. And um, it mentions only two dates, one where he starts in Mull and one where he turns up in Queensferry. It doesn't yeah. mention any other date. And I don't know why my mind was thinking like that, but I looked at that and thought, hold on a minute, is this, can you actually do that then? Yeah. Can you actually, is that, is he made this up? So well, I went, I did go to Scotland and uh, try and do it, which was, uh, it was, what a great trip, it was fantastic. But that, yeah, so that out of that well, came Well, you did do it, idea. and it's still online. Yes, if you, if you uh, yeah, if you look up... Um, or research for Tim Wright Kidmapper. Yeah, yeah, maybe Careful. not. <laughs> it's not the only curiously specific uh, event in 1886. Yeah, the uh, law establishing the Kiel Canal oh. was adopted by the German Empire. So Which the was Kiel our, Canal. Our first. We followed together. up uh, Kidmapper yeah. with um, the Riddle of the Sands uh, yes. Adventure Club. Which you can also still find online. And online. we went down the Kiel Canal. We went down the Kiel Canal. Yeah. Uh, so I, that I was, made you eat eel. Oh, I still remember that was bad. That was a bad time. Uh, there's a third one as well. What? Uh, Richard Dad died in 1886. Oh. So if you listen to our uh, episode on um, Edwin Drood, of Edwin Drood, uh, we talk a lot about Richard Dad. Yes, who uh, was involved in a very creepy incident down in North Kent. He killed his father, and well, we went to the murder place. We went to the we murder found place. it, didn't we? Uh, it was really creepy. Yeah. So yeah, he yeah. died in 1886. Oh my goodness! Okay, so it is a big year for yeah, Q Spec. Big year for um, for uh, Thomas Hardy as well in terms of his cash, because the Berne Convention was signed in 1886. What does that mean? Uh, well, it's law governing copyright. Oh, so he okay. Could basically, that thing we ignore made when we come to the money. music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we he don't. Made, we don't. He, he made a lot more money uh, as a result of that than he would have otherwise have done. Well, the thing that struck me most of all about 1886 was this is a book about sort of um, pre-industrial society. This is a year, it seems to me, where big industry, globalisa- globalization starts, Route 101. Okay. So I've got here, I've got that Coca-Cola was invented. I've got that the Berliner gram- first gramophone, the Berliner, came out. So music and Coca-Cola. Yeah. The aluminium refining process is is patented. So all those aluminium smelters that then have been ruined a lot of Africa, for example. The induction coil and the AC transformer, so all that stuff that then creates um, factories, electrified mm-hmm. factories, starts then. Benz patents the car, obviously the, yeah. the, uh, the car engine, and Daimler Builds makes first his first ki- car. Yeah. So you've got Daimler's, you've got Benz's, you've got Coca-Cola... You've got recorded music, 
And then you've got Bosch Tools. The Bosch Tools founded, yeah. Yorkshire Tea. William Grant Whiskey. Yorkshire Tea. Yeah. That's a big that brand. A bit, that's a bit of an Huge album. brand. <laughs> Huge brand. Johnson & Johnson start making healthcare products yeah. that year. And the one for me, who walks in? The man from Del Monte. The man from Del Monte. So all these big brands start said. up in that year. It's like suddenly someone's pressed a button and suddenly globalised product is going to start happening. So he's writing, he's writing this This book is published in 1886, but it's looking back 40 years yes. to a, basically a different world. I read something that described is it the trumpet major is his only historical novel, which seems to me to be incorrect. I mean, this is an yeah. historical novel pretty much. I think he, people forget came. that. It's the same, it's the same with Dickens' it's novels. describing it's, a different world. It's the same with Dickens' novels is they're writing about the world of their childhood. Hardy's doing a very similar thing to Dickens' is that you're setting it in a world that's away before the contemporary one yeah. and yet somehow I, I presume that readers at the time understood this but readers now don't seem to understand that no. they, they think it, that he's, he's portraying a contemporary world but yeah. he's not absolutely not yeah. uh, do you know what I, I read somewhere that somebody called it cosmic conservatism cosmic conservatism yeah is what he's about is that uh, cosmic uh, is that it's sort of uh, yeah it's a nostalgia for a past age but not not Exactly as it was, but as a sort of woo-woo world of, oh, okay. of, oh. of, where, of different values. Yeah, that's good. So, 1886 here, birth of the modern age. The man from Del Monte knows that nature has always packed its fruits with juice. Now you can enjoy the taste that nature intended. Fruit in juice with no added sugar. One more way for you to say yes to the best Del Monte. They sat in adjoining windows of the same room in Lucetta's great stone mansion, netting and looking out upon the market, which formed an animated scene. Elizabeth could see the crown of her stepfather's hat among the rest beneath and was not aware that Lucetta watched the same object with yet intenser interest. He moved about amid the throng, at this point lively as an anthill, elsewhere more reposeful and broken up by stalls of fruit and vegetables. Well, it is an animated scene. Yes, it's not hear. an ant's nest quite. <laughs> apart from it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a sort of... It's mainly this, um, it's a driveway through Dorchester, right? Yeah. We're standing, we're sitting in the, the town pump and St Peter's Church. Well, we've got a view over it, haven't we? Cornhill yeah. in Dorchester, which is the, where the market was. They still have a really huge market here. I've been here on market day. We drove past the car park. We did. Uh, which is uh, then closed for the market. And they do have buses, coach tours, that come down here from Birmingham and all what, kinds of for the of market? Yeah, because it's so famous. Wow. So we're outside the Dorset Museum, right? Outside the Dorset Museum, at the junction of Cornhill with High Whist Street and High East Street. This is So her house isn't here, Lucessa's house. I've got this very good British heritage site that tells me that, that, uh, that her, the, the model for her house was actually a few roads back from here there's so photographs so they've moved the house basically yeah and then moved it so that you could oversee the market space but if you come to the, what is essentially the bus stop outside the Dorset Museum you're in the right spot you are 
to survey over it. You're, You're bang also... opposite, by the way, the Judge Jeffries Restaurant and Coffee House. It is. I'm not sure Judge Jeffries is the right kind of person to be Interesting sell- vibe, selling it? us coffee, do you think? Is the bloody assizes here? Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, the, the prison. Uh, we're, actually, we're not far from the prison, are we? Well, I was going to say, not, the other big scene in the book that happens here is Susan's arrival yeah. in Casterbridge with Elizabeth Jane. She arrives at this spot because she can hear the, the bell from the church and then more mournfully, he says, the bell from the jail. The bell from the jail. Which is immediately behind the church. Yes, still there. Um, Hardy witnessed the pub- there were public hangings outside the jail during his lifetime, and wow. he wi- he witnessed one. I don't think I've never I've never seen a, ch- a prison and a church next to each so other so close in quite together. The same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think his experience of watching a public hanging did actually inform on his description of Tessa the Durbervilles, right? Of that event, right? Yeah. You also told told me on the way up here that in the museum behind us. They've got Thomas Hardy's writing desk. They have. Where he wrote this novel. That's right. We've got to remember that, haven't we, listener, that while we always go out into the field and go, oh, right, so this is where this book takes place, most writers, they might, if they bother to go to these places, which we're discovering that many of them don't, um, they don't write it there, do they? They go home and then they, they, think, go home and they, they think about it. So nearly everything that we, we experience... The writer then writes from memory in a nice cosy study or yeah. a garret. And when you come here, it is, it is, I mean, it's hard, it's everywhere, isn't it, when you come here? It very much is. But the other thing to say is that this area that we're in now, every other building has got a blue plaque with a dedication to the Victorian um, architect who sort of remodelled this place yes. between the 1840s and the 1880s. So everything that he's talking about in this book has gone. That's right. It's all been done over that's right and he was one of the people doing it over well yeah but I think it's also that that's a key understanding of Mary Carter Bridge is that he's writing a book about the dim and distant past of a kind of rural life that's gone yes and that and that he's, he's that's sort of the point isn't it yeah and that so that it's not a real world again is it no it's a made up world Spot commanded a full view of the town and its environs. What an old-fashioned place it seems to be, said Elizabeth Jane, while her silent mother mused on other things than topography. It is huddled altogether, and it is shut in by a square wall of trees like a plot of garden ground by a box edging. Its squareness was indeed the characteristic which most struck the eye in its antiquated borough, the borough of Casterbridge. At that time, recent as it was, untouched by the faintest sprinkle of modernism. It was compact as a box of dominoes. It had no suburbs in the ordinary sense. Country and town met at a mathematical line. It's a very architectural description, isn't it? It is, as befits a man who worked for many years as an architect's apprentice. So I think what we've got to ask ourselves here is Hardy is born in 1840 we're saying at 10 years old he starts going into the town he starts walking into Dorchester School 1850 and then 1856 he's he's apprenticed to an architect in town right and he's now saying that in that book that it hadn't it hadn't been touched by modernism at all Uh, you know I'm very (laughs) sceptical about this and we'll get on to the dating but I think it's very interesting to say about Dorchester is that it's therefore we're talking about a town 
people go there thinking they're going to walk around and see hardy country, yeah. as it were. Oh, we'll go to Dorchester and we'll do the Mayor of Castlebridge walk and see all the buildings, right? No, you won't. No. Because it's before the, the buildings have all changed. They've, they had a dramatic change. And partly it is to do with it becoming quite a wealthy town because of corn. I mean, we struggled a bit with the Three Mariners, didn't we? Because we thought, actually, well, there's a church here now. Well, and, uh, let's so talk about the church. the dates are wrong. Let's talk about the church. So, development of Dorchester. It became a municipal borough in 1835. Right. So that's when it starts to get serious about being a municipal place yeah. rather than a country town. And they hire this guy, Benjamin Ferry, to start building proper municipal buildings from that point. They basically knocked down the old corn market and they built a new one. Ferry designed it. We walked past it. We've seen it. 1847 to 1848 it was built. And before that, that All Saints Church... Benjamin Ferry also designed that, and that was put up between 1843 and 1845. And that's... W- it's on the site of the Three Mariners, and, we think. And, and he's mentioned in the book that you can't find it now, doesn't he? It does say yeah. something like, oh, you won't find it now because yeah. it's been cleared. So he's got his dates a bit. Well, I'm saying... None of that is mentioned in the book, is it? Well, that, I'm just saying from 1839 to 1848, the whole of the centre of Dorchester is a building site. Yeah. A massive building Which site. Which he's walking into every day to go to school. And it's it's a it's an absolute sort of monument to municipal money. There's something a bit awry going on here that, yeah. that in terms of what was actually happening to Dorchester and then what Hardy wants you to think about uh, Casterbridge. Is it, there's and a, presumably it's expanding, it's, a outside, disconnect. it's expanding outside the walls as well, right? Well, no, it isn't. Okay. And it isn't because all the land oh, right, around yeah. Yeah. around there is owned by the Duchy, the Duchy of Cornwall. Of Cornwall. Yeah, yeah. And they didn't allow any development outside of the city bounds because it was their private land. And in fact, Hardy himself, he bought land off the Duchy of Cornwall to build his house, Max Gate, and it was quite a difficult negotiation. Yeah, well, he didn't buy it. He leased it. Yeah. He didn't buy the freehold. But he had to get permission to build on that land. Yeah, he did, yeah. From the Duchy of Cornwall. Yeah. And it, apparently that was quite a scandal that he'd managed to pull that off yeah so development in dorchester is a is is kind of a big deal well we should talk a bit about Maxgate because yeah we should do he goes he he starts building that in in the 1880s he writes most of the merrick bridge in Maxgate. he designs it himself you can go you can go and see it it's part of the uh, national National trust Trust, isn't it yeah uh we didn't go inside but uh we we saw it from it because you had to make an appointment before which we didn't know it's a rather strange house it got lots of people who went there commented that it was really oddly laid out and a bit oh, okay. yeah, but it was sort of in fields and when it when it went up yeah there, there was, was no wall around, around it. it i think now it's kind of got roads and houses yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. around it so who is the other character we know from around that area in casterbridge who has some strong views about architecture and would like to design things to his own tastes and methods i think you may be referring to our our, our current king our current king. the third charles yes who was of course the Duke of Cornwall, and administered the Duchy of Cornwall. Yeah. And in 1987, came up with the idea of Poundbury, Poundbury, which is a suburb of Dorchester. Yeah. So basically, he'd, if you remember, he'd, he'd, um, he'd published a book called A Vision of Britain, and he decided that, that the housing, the way we did houses in Britain was all wrong. So he worked with the Dorset District Council to... Uh, help out with the future expansion of the town but under his rules this is in 1988 he worked with a well-known architect and urban planner leon Creer to work on an overall concept for 400 acres of land which become poundbury and we drove around it 
it's weird, right? It's very weird. There's no one on the streets. It's like being on a, in LA. You know, there's no one there. I think it's more like being in Stepford. I thought everything was just a bit off and a bit weirdly over-designed, but also very simplistic. I mean, it looked like Lego, a lot of the stuff in there. It looked like a toy town. There's it's basically like someone's made a kind of Lego version of it, or it's a nothing. James Sterling 1980s sort of facade version of of a mark of a do- of Dorchester. Yeah, I wonder what William makes of it all, as is now presumably well, the uh, the owner. I'm, I'm hoping he makes some bold choices. Starts <laughs> <laughs> yeah, putting a few skyscrapers in. Yeah, why not? Yeah, very good. <laughs> so, but if you wanted to live on the edge of Casterbridge, it would be a good place for you to hang out. If you, if you wanted to live on the edge, it would be a good place <laughs> to hang out. I think it was because like, I would be eternally on the edge. If you got there. really obsessed with being in a as you say, it's like location. Stepford. It'd be like. I, I presumably there are all sorts of rules about what colour you can paint your front door. I imagine so. Just, yeah, yeah. No, there's me. lots of rules. Not for me. There's lots of rules. Essentially, as soon as you step out across any one of those bridges we're going to talk about, yeah. you're under the rule of the Duchy of Cornwall. Yeah. And, and anything you do... And your front door has to be a certain colour. I imagine so. Yeah, why not? Red, white or blue, I imagine the choices <laughs> are. Or all three. <laughs> it's all laid out in bricks and mortar in Poundbury village of 2,500 people which he created on his land near Dorchester in the south of England. All of his ideas on architectural design, class structure, aesthetics and ecology are here. And what he sees is the future looks very much like the past, an 18th century village adapted for the 21st. And that's a convenience store which I'm very proud of, which everybody said wouldn't work. That's the pub which again Nobody wanted to touch, but now, of course, the values are going up and up and up. Yeah, I've been looking around for any signs of the, the modern and the flimsy. I don't, I don't see it. It places built to last. Well, that's, that's what I've been trying to encourage people to think about it, to break the conventional mold uh, in, in the way we've been building and designing for the last, well, during the last century, really, has all been part of a throwaway Society. Henchard's house was one of the best. Faced with a dull red and grey old brick, the front door was open, and as in other houses, she could see through the passage to the end of the garden nearly a quarter of a mile off. She's got a big old garden, hasn't it? Massive garden. And all we're, his storeyards are at the back of the house. We're, right? we're standing in. Standing well, in we're it. standing at, uh, at the uh, delivery ramp for Waitrose. <laughs> yes. So instead of hay, they're delivering Waitrose goods. They're delivering Waitrose goods to the back of. Uh, and we're standing at sort of a, a hayloft, right? That is very definitely an old, an old hayloft. Hay yeah. Out um, the back of the Barclays. There's a whole bunch of people walking past us. A lot of them, well, some of them walking, more of them in mobility scooters. So we're at the back of the Barclays right in the, the Waitrose We're between the back park. of the Barclays and the delivery ramp of Waitrose. Yeah. So we're between... most, po- most podcasts, Tim, yeah. would take to the front of Henchard's house. They would. Because it's obvious it's got a blue plaque on it. But no, we bring it out the back because this is where his gardens and storeyards would have been. This is where all his wealth was. And she says it's a quarter of a mile away, so it's a huge area. Yeah. And actually now it's the Waitrose car park. And which is quite huge, isn't it? It's and it is, is contained within a kind of wall. Within a it? very fine wall. Yeah. And so, there is a little bit of the last remaining of a sort of uh, agricultural store building is the, out, right the back of, the out the back of the Barclays. So this would be a, um, very good. a corn merchant's premises. It would be stuffed full of corn and uh, hay. 
absolutely masses of it. Now, you you made the excellent point. Well, you make the point again about the blue plaque being wrong. Well, there we are, listener. If you if you were tuned into a traditional podcast, which gave you a walking tour around the front of buildings rather than really getting down to the nitty-gritty... <laughs> At the back. You would find an information board and a blue plaque saying this is the site of Michael Henchard's house, blah, yes. blah, blah, right? But what they, but think about it. Yep. Think about it. Yep. If, you've, if you've read the book, you'll know that actually for the vast proportion of the book, yep. certainly in the timeline, it's not his house. He loses his house. He goes bankrupt. It's Farfrae's house. It's Farfrae's house. So this is the site of Farfrae's house. The Scotchman. I would say, for the bulk of the book. Yeah. And that's what it should say on the blue plaque, to my mind, if they were being curiously specific. And uh, to, to, to finish that thought, who oh. is the mayor of Casterbridge? Well, there you are, you see. By who the is e- the titular hero of the novel? By the end of the book, right? Yeah. By the end of the book, who's, who's being nominated for mayor yeah. by the other burghers of the town? Yeah. It's Farfrae. It's Farfrae. So, in fact, the book is about the... Farfrae becoming the mayor of Castlebridge. It's not so about it's, it's not about Henchard at it's all. It's a go-getting entrepreneurial, yeah. make good book. It's yeah. like a, it's one of those self-help books that businessmen write. Yeah, how to get ahead in yeah. uh, in corn trading. So turn this book on its head, mate. I told you this is a bit like The Great Escape, where everybody thinks it's about Steve McQueen, but actually that film was about James Garner. Well, it was supposed to be. Who well, what it? I quite like about this is that the trading of corn, yes, for food. Ah, I see. And it's now a supermarket. Well, we know we're between the bank and the food. And the food. And the, yeah. It's, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It's the same all, old, same old. It's all commerce. It's of course, all about it's, all, all, it's all organic artisan yeah. uh, sourdough grain. You now. come in here to raise the loans yeah. in order to get your to get um, avocado toast. Nothing changes. And it, <laughs> so it goes on. You're sounding like a mare. The diurnal round. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> That would be that would be um, the steampunk version of uh, the Ocado van, uh, it, the diurnal round. It would say on the van, <laughs> van wouldn't it? It would, and it would say, um, "Your delivery is being driven by, by Jude, by, by by Jude in the in the in the graveyard car." So I thought that was very us, uh, finding the back of Henchard's house, uh, exploring its connection to the Waitrose delivery ramp, the deep historical time that, that exists within within Casterbridge. If you're if you're a regular listener, you will have found that not very surprising that we <laughs> went to a diff- completely different location to anybody else, yeah. and came up with a slightly different point of view about yeah. what it was all about. You don't need a blue plaque. Yeah, you, need you just a, need a couple of old contrarians yeah. who <laughs> go, getting, no, you don't want to do it like that. Get in the way of people on their <laughs> mobility scooters. Um, so that's the end of part one of our Mayor of Casterbridge adventure. In part two, we're going we're gonna to move beyond the walls a little bit. Do you think, that, will the Duke of Cornwall allow us to do that? Well, we are, we are stepping onto Duke of Cornwall land. We're stepping outside the borough. Do you think that there's a bit of a Barney going to take place between the Earl of Wessex and the Duke of Cornwall about who's in charge of Dorchester? I forgot about the Earl of Wessex. That's... that's um, Edward, right? Yes. Amazing yeah. that Thomas Hardy makes up a place called Wessex. Yeah. And then a hundred and what's it years later, the royal family decide it's a real place. Is and he the first make an Earl? Earl of, he's he the, the only Earl of? Earl of Wessex. And do you know where he got the title from? Uh, he watched Shakespeare in Love and saw that, that Colin Firth was the Earl of Wessex. Oh, and he thought it. that was a really good title. Oh, come off it. <laughs> no, it's true. Get out of town. It's true. Shut the door. <laughs> I don't believe a word of it.
Anyway, um, this is the kind of interesting fact you'll get in part two. <laughs> so, yeah, in part two, we're going to go beyond the walls. We're mm. going to see some bridges and a weir. Uh, we're going to go to Max Gate, uh, oh, Thomas yeah. Hardy's house. And we're going to, fantastically, we're going to go to the ring, the amphitheatre, uh, which is really impressive. But uh, if you subscribe to our Patreon page, uh, you can get episode two right now. Yes. You don't uh, have to wait a week. It's there now. It's yeah. waiting for you. Yeah. We know what's in it. You yeah. will know what's in it if you listen to it now. Mm. Um, so head over to Patreon, search for Curiosity Specific, hand over a couple of quid, mm. uh, and you can get to listen to it right right yeah, away. Good old wander around Casterbridge. You know, without any ads. No ads for Coca-Cola or aluminium. Or Head over to Patreon.com, search for Curiosity Specific, and otherwise we'll see you in a week's time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.